Hello, hello, and welcome to Hear Her Sports, the podcast about phenomenal female athletes and women in sports. I'm Elizabeth Emery. Today's guest is Sensi Graves, a professional kiteboarder who founded Sensi Graves Bikinis to empower women in water sports by giving them the confidence they need and the swimwear they can rely on. This was in response to her own experiences with bikinis not staying put and not being as functional as she wanted. Sensi also hosts kiteboarding retreats for women worldwide. She has been featured extensively in online and print publications, including the Kiteboarder magazine, Kite World, the Kite Mag, Kite Spain, BarefootKings.com, and WomenWhoHustle.com. Sensi has been nominated for AWSI Kiteboarder of the Year for the last four years and ranked third on the Kite Park League World Tour in 2017. Sensi Gray's Bikinis has been recognized by Self Magazine as a top suit for sports and is the winner of the 2017 Self Healthy Living Awards. So stay tuned because in addition to all that, Sensi is super fun and funny and shares some excellent stuff about being your best in sport and business. Before we get started, a quick reminder to sign up for the newsletter at hearhersports.com. This week, I have lots of thoughts, plus some links after talking to Sensi about pay equity, trophies, starting out on a new big adventure, and finally, but probably most importantly, not having all the answers. Well, let's get going. Welcome, Sensi. It's really great to have you here. Thank you, Elizabeth. I'm stoked to be here. Yeah, thank you. Let's start with your sport kiteboarding, which is what led to everything else. It has. It truly has. So I actually was pretty late to the game kiteboarding in that I didn't learn until I was about 18 years old. And then I didn't really start kiteboarding until I was about 20. But you were active before that. Oh, yeah. I've been active my whole life. I have three brothers and super competitive. We always grew up playing two-on-two everything. Um, I've always been into board sports, grew up snowboarding, wakeboarding. And then actually I was really into ball sports as well. I was a big basketball player and uh, volleyball player. And so athletics have been a huge part of my life always. But kiteboarding was a late introduction and something that I just completely fell in love with and has totally changed my life. I mean, everything that I do today is revolved around kiteboarding. But yeah, I didn't start until I was 20 years old. And then actually from that point forward, it was truly eat, drink, live kiteboarding and was totally engrossed in the sport. I love that. I was I was the same way when I discovered cycling. So I always find that really interesting when you know, you sort of find that one sport. So what was it about kiteboarding that was so attractive to you? I think it was the freedom with it. I think it was something that was so new and fresh. I'm always someone that really thrives on adventure and thrives on doing new things. And so this new challenge, I was like, oh, wow, this is a cool sport. It's wind driven. You can kind of go anywhere with it, meaning that you're not confined to a lake as you are wakeboarding or a a smaller area. You can kind of take it a lot of different places when you're out kiting. And I just thought, I had the board sport background, so that was something that came kind of easily to me. And just the culture of it, the community of people that kiteboard, it's a very supportive environment. Everyone is kind of addicted to it, it seems like. And so it really infuses the sport with this passion and this contagious energy that just gets you going. And does it relate in any way to any of the other sports that you had liked before? Totally. Definitely the board sports. Having that background really helps. I mean, you are going sideways on the board for the most part. And so having that 
awareness of, okay, I have the balance and I, I need to adjust my body in these certain ways. That certainly helps. But really anybody can learn to kiteboard. I've, I've read that. <laughs> it, seems, <laughs> it seems very daunting though. I know. I think it's still quite intimidating and it's come so far in the last 30 years. I mean, we're a really young sport. Kiteboarding really didn't start until the very end of the 80s, early 90s. And so it's not hasn't been around for that long. And in the beginning, it was dangerous. It was really not something that has the safety that it does today. But it's really not as intimidating as people think. And you can be up and riding pretty quickly. It looks like that it takes a lot of arm strength, but then it has that strap around your waist. So are you actually using your arms a lot? That's a great question, Elizabeth. No, you are using <laughs> your arms to steer, but it doesn't take nearly the arm strength because you do have the harness around your waist and that's the load bearing component. And so you're using that harness to hold down the kite and then you can fly the kite with two fingers. You can take, yeah, so really it's a finesse sport and women actually can learn a lot easier than men because oftentimes I found that men try and muscle the kite and try and control it and really kind of just have to guide the kite and it'll do what you say but it has a mind of its own sometimes so you have to let it <laughs> fluctuate with the wind <laughs> right had, had you sailed before I mean did you understand wind no and that's been something that I I've learned over the years but sailing's still totally foreign to me actually you do a very specific kind of kiteboarding can you tell me about what that is and and what's different about it yeah, I'm in a niche. I'm definitely in a small discipline of kiteboarding. So I do and I compete in primarily park riding, which means we have features in the water. So I don't know if you've seen or the listeners have seen rails snowboarding or jumps snowboarding or even cable park cable park which has features floating in the water. I don't know if you've seen a cable park, Elizabeth. Yeah. I so I, have- I did my my YouTube research. You did? <laughs> okay, great. So you see the features. So if any, any listeners out there, look up a, a cable park and you'll see the floating big hunks of plastic, essentially. And so that discipline is very small. And um, there are only two places in the U.S. that really have slider parks. One is in North Carolina, which is where I'm at right now for this big kite competition. And one is where I live in Hood River, Oregon. And I love it. It's so fun. It's really part of the sport that engages me a ton, but it's definitely a a small aspect of kiteboarding and a a pretty niche discipline. And are you doing tricks on the, on these things? Yes. Okay, cool. And what kind of training are you doing? Yeah, great question. I do a lot of yoga. I do a lot of kind of hit training. So every day I try to move my body. That's kind of my thing is just I at least have to do something every day, whether that's just a half an hour of stretching or a half an hour run. I'm not a big runner. I never really <laughs> was into running. I always did short distances. So a hundred meters in track, never the long distances, but running such a great cardio booster. And that's something kiting that you don't really get that much. It's definitely more of a muscle endurance sport. And so I try and build up my cardio but I think it's, to me, it's just moving a little bit every day and then balancing with what's kind of not feeling great in my body. I sprained my ankle about a month ago. And so now I'm not running. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you doing like strength training and that kind of stuff? Yeah. So I do pretty um, basic circuit training workouts. So I have a home gym and it's funny because as a 
professional athlete, you think, gosh, I want to have a trainer and I, I feel like I should have someone that's kind of pushing that level. But it is really interesting to compare to, say, surfing where the women that are competing at that high level have so many resources at their back and our sport's just not quite at that level where we have the the funds to do that. And so it's interesting balance to think about, okay, I'm an athlete and I need to take, I'm performing at this high level and I need to take care of my body. But what resources are available to me right now in order for me to do that at my, at my best. And that I wish involved a trainer, but currently doesn't, but I do have an acupuncturist and a masseuse that I work with quite a lot because as you get older, you really have to, even for the young ones, you have to take care of your body. Yeah. It doesn't last forever. Last forever. You mentioned that the, the money isn't that great in kiteboarding. So talk a little bit about that. And also you, you had mentioned in one of the emails that the prize money wasn't equal yet between men and women. Not quite, not across the board. But great news this year, the contest that I'm currently competing in, it's called the Triple S Invitational at Real Water Sports in North Carolina. This year is our first year with equal prize money. Woo, that's awesome. Yeah, I know. Isn't that great? It's so great. There, There's a lot of money on the line, actually, for this contest. So now that I said that there's not that much money, <laughs> we have um, $12,000 for first place men and $12,000 for first place women. So that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. Yeah, it's good. But as far as sponsorships, most contests, media representation, and how much the individual athletes get paid, I think the disparity is still very large. Mm-hmm. And it's changing for sure. I mean, the whole culture is changing around it. And I think it's just showing more women in general, but also having people in my position standing up and saying, Hey, no, what is this other person getting paid? And I need to have that same, that same amount, but it's very hard to get, it's still pretty small sport. It's very hard to get, um, sponsorship backing and to do so at a level that enables you to not have another job. But I've had a I've had another gig this whole time. So. Yes, <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, do you and the other uh, your other competitors do you talk about prize money and things like that and equity and sponsorship? Is it that kind of tight community? We do. It's interesting because it hasn't come up that much until really recently, and we actually had a contest in Brazil in October this past October where we had a big blow up between the men and the women. Honestly, when there was a whole argument going on about equal prize money and we still don't have the representation. I have to admit the the number of women competing are much less than the number of men. And so their whole stance is, Hey, you guys don't have the same numbers. Therefore you shouldn't have the same piece of the pie. Okay, fine. I get that argument, but that doesn't mean that we're not trying just as hard. That doesn't mean that we're not putting the same amount of money or cost to be there to, to compete. That doesn't mean that we still don't need the same amount of money to live, you know, all, all the things. So that argument to me is not valid. However, in Brazil, we had a, a smaller group even show up than we normally do. And we were having this whole conversation on equal prize money. And some of the guys, and I was very disappointed with this because we were a very tight group. We travel around the world together often. We see each other at different locations. And they were so adamant against it that it it almost came to blows, I think, because everyone was just getting so riled up. And I was just like, wow, these are my peers. These are my friends. We're really close. And I felt personally 
devalued and personally kind of attacked. And I know I shouldn't have taken it that way, but it was very emotional because it was like, why you guys like, this isn't taking anything away from you. In fact, it's just bringing more to our sport and it's enabling more women to get into our sport because they see, Hey, there's some, there's some money on the line that enables us to actually be here and do this. You can't come to an event for free and show up and, you know, not get rewarded in any way. And if the men's prize money is the same, why can't we not have this equality? And it was, it was really hard because it was quite disappointing to hear from my peers and my friends that some of them just were so adamantly against it. Yeah. You know, this a similar fight is happening in cycling right now. And the, you know, the gut reaction is that the pie is limited. And so if the women get more, I'm going to get less, meaning I, me, the, the man is going to get less. And that's not true. It's not true. It's not true. And that's like, what? Because, yeah, we have these sponsorship supports and they're saying, hey, we want to see more women in the sport. And it's kind of the chicken or the egg thing, right? It's like, okay, we have, we're showing more support to women and we're getting more people involved or we're rewarding them the same way. And so they find it more attractive to do this because if they can't make a living off it and can't spend their time traveling around the world trying to represent women in this discipline of kiteboarding, how are we going to get more people doing it? <laughs> right, right. Very interesting. I, lo- I love that this same conversation is happening in so many sports now. I think that's really exciting. Yeah. yeah. But I love that you point out it's very much a, um, a lack mindset. And if we can switch that to an abundance mindset and then that, that there's enough room for everyone and that there's enough money for everyone, which is true throughout life, then that'll get us going places. Exactly. It's not just limited to this conversation. It's, it's a bigger conversation. Yeah. Um, so what are competitions like and, and what are, what's, how often do you compete? Yeah, I do about three competitions a year and we have certain features in the water. And so typical rail competitions in kiteboarding are you get three attempts at each feature. So let's say we have a kicker, which is a jump for people that aren't super familiar with that. Like if you had a a jump snowboarding, you get three attempts to do your trick off the jump. That's typically how it works. And then we run through heats and advance to the finals and then do it all over again. And you're scored by a set of judges. Correct. So it's out of base score. um, It's out of 10. And then each, each feature has 10 points. So they all add up to however many features, you know, sometimes that's five features. So you'll have a total score of 50 that you could get, but each individual feature scored out of 10. And then usually we have hopefully three judges. If it's all going well, but sometimes only two. Mm-hmm. Got it. I just want to point out that once again, this is just a small part of kiteboarding and there's a lot of other parts of kiteboarding that involve racing or freestyle or big air. So it's a huge variety in kiteboarding. So you were kiteboarding all day, every day, and your swimming suits were really bugging you because they were falling off and you were grabbing at them. And so you decided to design your own. You know, what I love about this story is that you, you know, like you just jumped right into it full force. I think that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Elizabeth. Yeah, looking back at it, it is kind of crazy. But I realized that I'm just, really a doer. And if I see something that needs to get done, I'm just like, okay, how do we do it? Let's do it. Dive in, like get the work done and that'll actually get you to the results. So that's kind of my personality type. But when I first started looking back now, I'm like, woo, I don't know what I was thinking because 
I was fresh out of college. I was in the water, as you said, every single day because I was living in North Carolina and I was coaching kiteboarding at that time. And so my bikini was literally my uniform. I would wear it underneath my shorts and my t-shirt. And if I wasn't coaching, I was either surfing or kiteboarding for fun. And so I was in a bikini so much and I quickly became fed up with the options out there because it was really either total functional, but the colors weren't great. The fit I didn't think was awesome. It was more of a, oh, it has to be a lot of coverage for it to be super functional or really cute and kind of that typical bikini-esque look, but nothing that would stay put. And I just wanted to feel empowered. I wanted to feel great about what I was wearing and I wanted to go out and be able to throw down. Right. (laughs) Talk about what, what an empowered suit is because you talk about that a lot on your website. Yeah, to me, I want our suits to be something like a cape that a woman puts on so that when she puts on her Sensi bikini, she feels like a rock star. So that, I mean, we know that clothes and the clothes that you choose to wear affect how you feel. And if you change your outfit to something that makes you feel good, you physically will stand taller and you'll be more confident and you'll infuse that into everything you do. And so I want our customer to feel that confidence and then be able to go out and do the fun things that she wants to, whether that's learn to kiteboard or surf for the first time or go on the hike, whatever it is that she wants to do with her big, beautiful life. I want her to feel like she can. And how did you figure out how to make suits that actually stayed on? I mean, that sounds a lot more complicated than just, you know, being at the drawing board and coming up with something good looking. <laughs> that's a great question. Well, honestly, in the beginning, it was okay, I'm going to draw it and figure out what's going to work well. And for me, it was, I knew that pieces just needed to have more of a sports bra standard. And I knew that the function aspect needed to come first. And so it was testing different prototypes. And honestly, the hardest part of Elizabeth is trying to make it fit a variety of body types. Oh, I bet. Because that is, it. It's not impossible, but it's it's very hard to please many different people and have it work excellently for many different body types. And so that's been the the huge struggle. But coming from a function first standpoint has enabled it to to be, okay, this is made to stay on. And then we put in the design aspects that we think look good and will make our customer feel good and have the kind of fashion forward parts of the suit that I think are really important. Can we go back to breaking into this idea of getting into making suits? I mean, you know, like, do you remember what it felt like to make the decision to say, okay, I'm going to go for it? Like, how did you get through that barrier? I do, actually. I love that question because it was when I first voiced that I was going to do it. And I remember I had a couple different mentors here in North Carolina that were, had started their own businesses and there were clients that were coming down to the school that I was working at real water sports. And I was just playing around with this idea and kind of thinking, this is something that I want to see on the market. I don't see it. Like I said, I just graduated college and I've always wanted to do something entrepreneurial. And I was just playing around with the idea and starting to tell people, Hey, I want to see this. And I remember particularly these two women Terry Peck and Isabel Jones, and they both said, okay, you need to do this. And I said, oh, (laughs) (laughs) okay. And then calling your task. 
calling the task. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And I remember just saying, I'm going to start a swimsuit line and telling people that. And then I was like, okay, I got to do it. I just, I just started telling people this is something I'm going to do. How do I make it happen now? So it was really just the voicing it. Did you feel like you were jumping off a cliff or was it, you know, like teeny steps that made it easy to take in? It was definitely teeny steps that made it easy to take in. I think that's how you have to go through anything in life. If you look at the task, it's so overwhelming. You have to chunk it down to digestible pieces. And so it really truly was just a, okay, I need to get some prototypes made. How can I do that? And then, oh, well, I guess we should shoot the photos. (laughs) It sounds kind of ridiculous now because it was such a learning experience and it was really just figuring out the next, putting one foot in front of the other. And if I were to do it again, now knowing what I know, I mean, I'd do obviously a much better job, but it was an invaluable experience because it was like, okay, I can figure this out. Okay. What's the next thing down the line? And yeah, in the beginning, I mean, my branding was terrible. My, <laughs> the suits were okay. They weren't like the most amazing things you've ever seen. And they got slowly better at each iteration that we did. But my first samples, I was like, all right, these are, these are good. Is it the most functional flattering suit possible that I really envisioned in my mind? No, but you're never going to get to that point of perfection. And it's just having the confidence in yourself to keep moving forward. That'll enable you to be successful. Did you have a big picture in mind or were you so focused on like just making it past the next week? It was truly making it past the next week, Elizabeth. And that is not something I recommend. I mean, you want to go into (laughs) any endeavor with the big picture goal. (laughs) I mean, I had kind of the lofty, oh, I want to be in nationwide stores. You know, I want to be the standard for performance swimwear. But they weren't the smart goals that actually enable you to get there. Right. Did you have any doubt? Oh, yes. A ton of doubt. I mean, still to this day, I have doubt, which is creeps up and you're like, who am I to do this? You know, what's my experience that is enable me to try and serve as many women as I can? Like, yeah, it's, it's always comes up and you have to combat that by once again, going back to that self-belief and realizing why you're in business and what your values are and what you're trying to bring to the world and truly believing that that's something that needs to be in the world. You've talked about confidence a lot. And I, I always think that's a really interesting word because it sort of sounds like this thing that you can turn off and on, which is you know not really true. So how did you come up with the confidence and how, you know, when you have that self-doubt, are you, you know, going back to the metaphor I guess just gave, how do you turn it on? Yeah, that's a, an awesome question because it's something that I've really grown into, I think, just in the past couple of years. It's taken me a long time to get to the point it, it, it was in the beginning fake it till you make it you just do the next step and make it happen <laughs> get the work done and today I've come up with these tools because I still have that that doubt and that that lack of self-belief and that like oh maybe I should give up or quit and it's not as often anymore because I practice the self-love and the self-confidence and the self-belief. And that is, it's a daily practice and you have to start recognizing what, what are your limiting beliefs and where these negative thoughts, because sometimes you don't recognize it. Sometimes it's just like this negative thought pops up in your head that you don't even notice, but it's affecting the work that you do and it's affecting your energy levels, which affects the work you do. And so it's first noticing what is that negative thought that's popping up? And it might be, 
who am I to do this? <laughs> or maybe I should quit. <laughs> Why do I bang my head against the wall still? Um, and then turning that into a positive affirmation, which for me is I'm a badass business owner and I'm making a rad product and I have, I'm an inspiration to others. And then your actions start reflecting what those affirmations are. And you're thinking, whoa, okay, I'm an inspiration to others. How am I going to present myself so that I am in bringing inspiring content to other people and I'm lifting up other women and other, other people in general. And so it's tuning into what my limiting beliefs are and then constantly practicing the I'm a badass affirmations and these are my values and this is what I value in myself saying that to myself you know recognizing I am good at sports you know I am an awesome writer and saying those things because if you can't buoy up yourself and you can't bring yourself love and joy it's really hard to bring that to other people and to the work you do and to life in general do you have a daily practice like meditation I or I do. Yeah. I meditate in bed because <laughs> I find that to be the easiest thing. <laughs> so just first thing in the morning, um, because it sometimes, I mean, there's so many studies on how good meditation is for you. So I feel like <laughs> you've got to do it and I won't lament on those things here, but I was finding it hard to do it every day. And so now I just do it first thing in the morning. I put my headphones in and I just meditate in bed. And so it's a really easy way to wake up. It's like a really pleasant thing to do first thing in the morning. And then it's done. And I have to, I say, okay, I got my meditation time in. Great. But I also try and write in my journal every day. Once again, it's not, it's not always, and that's fine. But it's the consistency with the practice that will make you successful. So as often as I can, I'll do after my meditation a journal exercise, which is gratitudes. We know how important gratitudes are. And one of my favorite quotes is actually by, it's been attributed to Oprah. I think it's Oprah. And she says, if you don't appreciate what you have, you'll never have enough. And so really breathing into what I have going on in my life. And even if I'm not loving the situation that I'm in or I'm feeling pressure, you know, for instance, I'm at this contest right now and I, I it's always been a hard balance with the business to really show up and bring my best at the contest because I have this whole other energy sucking joy bringing <laughs> business that I, I, I run. And so that balance sometimes is hard, but just breathing into the gratitude of being here and being able to do this and compete at a high level is awesome. And then I do what I can enjoy, do to enjoy the day. And then I do affirmations. Nice. I like it. Mm-hmm. I, I love that you meditate in bed. <laughs> it's an easy intro (laughs) well you know the often the hardest thing to do is to get out of bed (laughs) so you you know you sort of ease into that by just meditating there yeah it's great I don't know do you meditate I do and I often do do it in bed (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs) for the exact reason I have trouble getting out and I think oh I'm just lying here let me you know do my little meditation yeah that's perfect yeah um, one of the things I read, and I think it was on your website, is, um, and I'm butchering the quote, but you talked about not being so humble, and that was a way to have confidence. And I love that. You know, I think mm-hmm. women particularly have trouble with with being too humble. Can you talk about that a little bit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw this a couple years ago. One of my friends posted it, so I don't know who the original quote is by, but it was, "Don't be so humble, you're not that cool." And it- <laughs> 
funny because it's like, oh, wow, we're so wrapped up in our egos. And we're so it's kind of, you know, you have to dissect it a little bit, but we're so wrapped up in what we're doing. And we're so nervous about putting anything into the world. And it's like, you know, honestly, realistically, you're not that big of a deal. <laughs> you know, you're not doing anything that's that so amazing that all eyes are on you. And it's okay to reverse engineer that and be like, okay, well, you know what? I am doing something cool and it's okay to share that with the world because <laughs> you're here for such a short amount of time and it's okay to reclaim that you are a badass. So it's, it's kind of both the same, the, the thing that you, you know, get your ego out of the way and it's okay to spread the love and light that you have to offer because what else are you doing? And <laughs> I think that quote is so funny. I love the, um, yeah, don't be so humble. It's, you know, walk the walk, talk, talk and, and show your stuff. Yeah. Cool. What is success for you? That's a great question, Elizabeth, because it truly changes. And I don't believe that success is as much as we put emphasis on material items. I try and move away from that as much as possible, but to me, success is impacting other people. It's feeling passionate about the work that I'm doing. It's having connection with family and friends. And it's feeling good in my body. What are your long-term big ideas for the company? Mm, supporting women's events. And, well, not just women, but sponsoring kiteboarding events, sponsoring different athletic, uh, water sport events. And, um, yeah, wouldn't that be fun? And then actually I have a team of athletes, um, that I sponsor, but actually monetarily rewarding them, bringing people on salary on the team, you know, giving back to the sport that's giving me so much and, um, doing it primarily for women because that's where I want to see the progress be made. Right. All of your suits are made in the U.S. What are some of the other business practices that are important to you? Environmental, for sure. We do, actually, in the beginning, and I have to admit, I almost didn't start this company because I didn't want just another swimsuit company. I was like, oh, man, do we need to have another manufacturing company in this world? And that little voice, who am I to, to do this? But then I really went back and I actually, I loved Yvonne Chouinard from Patagonia and I read Let My People Go Surfing and all of his, his business books. And I thought, you know, if I can do this in a way that is impactful to other business owners, it inspires other people to change their practices in their general life and support businesses that are doing the right thing. And if I can change this mindset around what environmental manufacturing looks like in the US and how we can make that sustainable, then this is something that I should pursue. And so environmental responsibility and sustainability have been a huge part of the business from day one. We are a 1% for the planet member, which means that we donate 1% of our sales to environmental groups. We do Columbia River Keepers has been this our 2019 partner, which is a, a, a nonprofit based in Hood River, which is awesome. I'm kiteboarding on the river every day <laughs> and we use all recycled packaging, all recycled hang tags, organic cotton labels. We actually just transitioned to compostable poly bags and compostable hygienic liners. It's the little stuff that you have to be like looking for in the business to, 
to change over because I used regular hygienic liners for years and then was like, oh, light bulb moment. These you just throw in the garbage. So what's a better alternative? Um, but actually, in the very beginning of the business, we didn't even put anything in poly bag because I refused to. And I thought, this is so stupid. Uh, why would I package anything in plastic just for someone to open it and throw it away? But then we started working with larger retailers and they require it. And so we have to um, had to find a solution. But now we use compostable poly bags, which I'm really excited about. They compost in the backyard in 90 days. Oh, wow. And that's quick. Is that cool? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then we um, use recycled fabrics. So we've actually, or transitioning over, I've always used recycled fabrics in the line, but it's never been the hundred percent because the minimums on a lot of the recycled materials are quite high and we couldn't meet them. Now there are some better options and it's easier for us to buy that fabric. And so we'll, about 60% of the current line is made from Reprieve and Econel, which are two brands that are doing awesome things. And they make fabrics from recycled plastic bottles and reclaimed fishing nets. And then uh, pre-consumer nylon waste. So it's like the fabric scraps that come off the cutting line and stuff. And next year we're doing a hundred percent line from that fabric. Wow. Um, what's been difficult in your business life? Managing people, managing production, and just keeping a cool head when things go wrong because things always go wrong and it's really easy to get overwhelmed and kind of want to go into that dark hole of I'm not going to get up. I don't want to face it. I don't want to do the <laughs> work with these problems anymore. But I love, I don't know if you know Marie Forleo, but she says everything is figure outable. And I love that because it's so true. And it's just a good rallying cry for, all right, it's not that hard. Everything is figure outable. Let's dive in and do the work and, and put one foot in front of the other like we've been doing for years. Um, <laughs> but it's just maintaining that. I, I think for me, it's just maintaining that belief and, and the confidence because things are going to go wrong and you have to not get overwhelmed by that. And so being a leader for my team um, and managing those expectations and managing the morale and enthusiasm and then personally not getting bogged down with fires that always arise because they will continue to do so. Are you good at delegating? I've been working on that. (laughs) (laughs) Eliminate, delegate. Um, Yeah, I'm not going to say I'm good at or maybe I should. Maybe that should be a new affirmation and a mantra. I'm great at delegating. (laughs) (laughs) Something I have to work on for sure. Right. You want to have control. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when you start in a small organization, you know, when you're, when you really are doing everything yourself and there's no one else to do it. Yeah. And then you think, oh, well, it's faster for me to do it than try and teach someone else. And I'm going to do a better job. So, (laughs) but having faith in the team. Right. Um, Can we talk a little bit about bikinis and about women wearing bikinis? Do most kiteboarders wear bikinis and surfers and all those? Yeah, it depends on where you are, certainly, because some people are living in a climate that they require a wetsuit. But most people I found, well, it's a two camps, actually, if you're wearing a wetsuit as to whether you wear a bikini underneath it or not. But I find that I always do because when you strip off your wetsuit, it's really nice to have something on underneath. And so um, it's definitely more on where you are as to our customer base but we have a big pnw representing crew out there that all my kiteboarders wear their sensi bikinis um 
but I think in terms of who's wearing the bikini, it's to me something that I want to have women feel empowered by. I keep going back to this empowered word because it's such a vulnerable thing to wear. And what I found is that women are so hard on their bodies and have so much, I don't want to say hate, maybe hate is the right word. It feels too strong, but I have so much uh, vehemence for how they look that it affects how they show up in the world and how they interact with their sport. And so it's breaking through these vulnerability walls and trying to increase that, that self-confidence and that self-worth is that's why I'm so passionate about that. Um, and I want everyone to feel like they can wear a bikini. Uh, but we definitely have, we definitely have customers all over the world. Yeah. It, it, it seems like there's this really interesting, I don't know if to call it a contrast or just like these sort of conflicting ideas in your business of, you know, between making sexy bikinis, empowering women, making bikinis that are functional, you know, on some of your website pages, you talk about, um, you know, you're so much more valuable than your looks. And you also mentioned stop buying clothes for a year. I mean, there's just so much in your business. I think it's really fascinating. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's it is funny because as a swimwear company, I mean, most swimwear companies out there that you'll see, they're showing bucks and models on the beach, super sexy poses, and that you know, people sex sells. We know that people gravitate towards that. But for me, it's not that's not the end all. And yeah, on the one hand, I am selling a product and I am selling something that I mean, I want my customers to feel good in. I don't know if they don't have to feel sexy, but if they feel sexy, you know, that's whatever you want to feel that makes brings you joy. So that's great. But yeah, it's it's an interesting dichotomy because yeah, obviously I want people to to buy to buy my products and that supports so much more I believe than just just me and it supports the the mission of the company and environmental and small business, but also teaching that you don't have to <laughs> wear a certain thing or your or look a certain way to wear a certain thing or um have so much consumerism in your life so yeah it's kind of just an expression of my personal values and i'm thankful for the platform to share those yeah and you've done a really good job about um I don't know, just expressing all of that all at once. And, and I don't know, it's just, it's really fascinating. <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Um, you are very active and, you know, you have a couple businesses going. We haven't even talked about the camp that you're starting. And you're a pro athlete. Do you take any time off? That's another great question, Elizabeth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, so I don't often take very much time off. Um, I have to really force myself if I, gosh, I don't know when the last time I took a full week off is, but that's something I'm working towards because I'm like, okay, in my dream life, am I working, you know, 52 weeks out of the year? No. And I have a great work-life balance as far as being a professional athlete and running the business. And I build that into my every day, but I think it's so important to take those mental breaks of I'm not going to work today. So I try and incorporate into my schedule one day when I don't do email, I don't do social media, I don't open anything. And I just say, okay, I'm not going to work because giving yourself that mental break allows you to relax and live more in the moment. And 
you can easily get caught up in other things that are happening. I mean, a couple of years ago, I remember I was going on a mountain bike ride. I'm a big mountain biker as well. And, uh, we were like driving up to the trailhead and I opened my phone and I checked my email and there was this, some email that came through that triggered a negative response to my body. And then I was there in that email and I was like, okay, I'm going on a mountain bike ride and I want to relax and enjoy that. And now my thoughts and my energy is completely somewhere else. So let's just eliminate that. And if we're going to do an activity, don't open your email. What are you doing? (laughs) So it's teaching those practices and starting to recognize this is a negative thing and I don't want to have this experience. So let me eliminate it. But you have to start recognizing. It's so hard. It's hard. It's been a very long (laughs) process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But so necessary. Go ahead. Oh, totally necessary. And I, it shocks me that it's so hard. Yeah. It it sort of embarrasses me that it's so hard. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Can I, can I assume that you say no a lot to requests? Yeah. It's, it's not, I don't, gosh, I've gotten much better at it for sure. So I don't know if it's a lot that I say no to, but I've gotten way better at tuning into, is this something that is actually going to be good for me? And is a good match for that person as well, or it's just a waste of both of our times and, and eliminating that. But sometimes you never know. Sometimes you don't know what the opportunity is going to be. And sometimes, like, you know, people ask me to go to coffee because they want to pick my brain for business stuff. And sometimes I'm like, oh, no, my time is valuable. I don't want to do that. But then I think, gosh, people, so many people helped me in the beginning. And input is such a crucial part of business that let me give back in, in that way. And then you feel really good by doing it. So sometimes the no's are not always necessary, but... I've gotten way better at saying no, yes. Yeah. You had a really great list on your blog about the things that you learned in 30 years. You just turned 30 or recently turned 30. And one of them I really liked, you talked about working out and putting yourself and your body first. Can you talk a little bit about that? And particularly, do you mean that for everybody, athlete and non-athlete? Yeah, definitely. I definitely mean that for everybody. And I don't think that people need to look a certain way by any means. I mean, because that's going to differ across all body types, but I do believe that everybody needs to exercise. I mean, it's something that as humans is necessary for our health. It's necessary to feel good. And if you don't feel good in your body and you're not and your energy's not there and you are just, you know, you can't show up in the best way possible, then you have to look at what factors are going into, into that. And we know that exercise releases endorphins. It's mentally going to make you feel better because of those chemicals that are coming into your brain. But it's also going to be give that stimulation of, oh, I'm taking care of myself. And that means that I'm putting value on myself. And that means that perhaps maybe I love myself. And that means that I can spread that love with other people. And so I think that exercise is a must for everybody and not just for how you look, but how it makes you feel. And so if you're not taking care of your body, I don't, I think you're doing a huge disservice and you need to refocus on that because it brings so much joy and, and feel good emotions and really allows you to, to do the work that you want to do in the world. And how do you convince people who say, you know, I'm not athletic or are just like not interested in being physically active? Mo- trying to motivate, trying to 
do the you can and the and the just try. Um, it's it's hard. I mean, a lot of the people that I work with are coming because I do. We haven't touched on it yet, but kiteboarding retreats and coaching. So we'll take um, women's trips and bring a group of women on to learn kiteboarding skills. And so those people that I interact with are very much in the, I am here to learn. I want to try. Um, it's when you encounter someone that is discouraged and doesn't want to try that I found to be very that's definitely a challenge. And I don't like to focus on what the negative of things because I think that just brings people down, but it really is encouraging someone to try because you can't, you'll never know unless you try. And if you try and fail, you're in this, you, at least you tried, you know, you, <laughs> I, I just don't, um, I think we put way too much emphasis on success as a society and we don't focus or show so much of the, the failures, but everyone fails. And if you are out there failing, that means you're trying. And that's certainly a lot better than, than not trying. I also, with the podcast, I think a lot about, you know, sort of, cause I talk with mostly women who've achieved a certain level of ability mm -hmm. and that's also not necessary. Yeah. And sometimes I think it can be really intimidating for people because they're seeing, oh, all these people have done such great things and I can't ever get to that or can't imagine myself in those shoes. And so sometimes I think it's okay to to go back and say, well, yeah, we want to be aspirational. We want to be inspiring. But realizing that maybe not everybody is inspired by that. And in fact, some people might feel overwhelmed and intimidated. Yeah. This is sort of an aside, but I was injured for a while and I got inspiration from all the really old people I saw jogging by my house, <laughs> like, <laughs> almost walking pace. And I was like, damn, if they're out there, you know, <laughs> I got to get out there too. Yeah. yeah. So just the, the variety, right? I think showing the variety of people and making it inclusive and <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We don't have all the answers, Elizabeth. No, that's definitely, <laughs> definitely true. One of the things that you mentioned that you wanted to talk about was how women can build one another up and how they can support each other. Talk about that. Yeah, that's something that I'm passionate about. I actually wrote an article recently on the problem with women's kiteboarding. And I talked about how you'll see on social media um, women kind of hating on each other with like, because there's still the big um, people showing off themselves in their bikinis, which is, you know, this is fine. I obviously do that. I show myself in a bikini, but doing it in a way that's a lot of TNA and the kind of the sex sells component of, of kiteboarding, um, which is still very prevalent. And to me, it's, let's not hate on that kind of media portrayal. Um, let's not hate on the woman that's doing that. Let's not, bring her down because really we just want to show more women in kiteboarding. And if that's what they want to do, I think that's totally fine. I think let's just give her props for even being out there once again and trying. And so I think it's changing the, um, the mindset of we all have to participate in the sport in the same way. And we all have to portray ourselves in the same way. Okay. Yeah. That might not resonate with you and you, you might not appreciate looking at someone's 10 booty photos in a row. <laughs> but instead of putting your energy into talking smack about them or, you know, having a negative comment on their feed, 
let's just say, great, we're showing more women in sports and how can I do something? If I don't want to see that, maybe I should take responsibility and show something that I do want to see. And let me, let me go support the people that I want to see more of instead of just bringing down the people that I don't want to see more of. So does that make sense? It's just bringing the positive to the things instead of focusing on the negative. So going towards what we want to see instead of routing ourselves towards what we perhaps don't want to see. Yeah, I really like you talked about supporting what you do like. I think a lot about film and women in film and and how we as viewers can support the films that we want just by going to those films. Exactly. Yeah. So it's instead of just complaining about it or being like, gosh, I'm so tired of whatever this and this happening. Okay, well, go support. There's people doing cool stuff in the world. So maybe go change your mindset, go see these women's based films and go put your money where your mouth is and support the things that you want to see. <laughs> yeah. And you know, like our choices we make really matter and, and it do have impact. They do. They so do. Yeah. I absolutely believe that. And it's something that I try and teach as well, which is why I think it's important for people to support businesses that they that align with their values that they personally have and companies that are doing awesome things because if you want to see change in the world you need to vote with your dollar yes definitely let's talk about nutrition because i know it is important to you and you've spoken about eating good food like i don't know what are your your ways of eating yeah so eating as clean as possible and what does that mean i mean that's a kind of a broad term you hear that but it's to me not eating packaged foods I mean I'll still eat packaged foods but really focusing on on not and that means you know no little snacks no chips if anything has more than a a couple ingredients I don't put it on my plate and I mean this isn't a hundred percent of the time obviously it's a hard to to do that but I think if you're really trying to fuel yourself right and you're putting random additives and chemicals in your body, you're not giving yourself the best shot possible. And if we're all out here trying to perform at the best in the best possible way and at the highest level, then you need to give yourself the tools to do that. And that goes the same for just being um, a non-athlete in regular life, which is bring your energy levels up by fueling yourself well and um, trying to identify what is perhaps bringing your energy levels down. Sugar, sugar is highly addictive. It's eight times as addictive as cocaine. So it's no wonder that people have a problem consuming too much of it, but it strips your body of nutrients. It makes you crash. I mean, there's just really no good things about sugar. So eliminating the things from your diet that aren't making you feel good. But then also I really like to teach and I'm very much a proponent of adding in the good stuff because it's sometimes hard to think, okay, I can't have any dairy that's really hard for a lot of people. But if you focus on, instead of getting rid of the dairy, adding in good ingredients and um, maybe nut milks or focusing on fruits and vegetables and how you can get more of those in your diet, it'll kind of naturally squish out some of the processed foods and too much meat and um, all the nitrates that are added in lunch meats and um, foods that you don't necessarily want on your plate if you focus on adding in the good stuff. Yeah, I recently realized that when I eat sugar, it's because I'm not fueling myself well enough in other areas. So I grab for, you know, something quick because I need it. You want that quick energy and it does do that, but it's such a, um, you pay the price. price. (laughs) I I mean, when I read it, it was eight times as addictive as cocaine. I was like, well, geez, I mean, no wonder we have an issue. (laughs) 
in the world. <laughs> I definitely have an issue. Um, yeah. Is kiteboarding an endurance sport? It can be if you are um, traveling over long distances. And then also if you are um, doing lots of maneuvers, I mean, you get winded. But it's not so much of a cardio sport as a overall body workout. So when you're mountain biking, for example, how are you making sure that you're getting enough calories? Well, I have, uh, I do a lot of smoothies and a lot of protein smoothies and I like to have that before I work out. Um, and then, um, quick snacks, Lara bars I'm a big fan of because they are all raw and there are no additives. It's just fruit and nuts. Uh, and then I make a lot of my own bars because I have really been focusing on going away from single use package items. And so doing a blend of dates and nuts and seeds and cacao powder and yummy things in my food processor and then making them up into little balls. I actually have a video on my YouTube called how to make energy bites. If anyone wants to go watch it, <laughs> not on my YouTube, on my, uh, my Instagram. Oh, great. And, um, I think that if we can focus more on not just reaching for buying things, but packing our own snacks, it, it'll go a long way. Cool. So yeah, but I always have snacks on my person, nuts, fruit, energy bites. It's very important. <laughs> I get hangry. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. For sure. Well, great. It is so great to have you. Did we miss anything? Do you want to talk about anything else? I don't think so, Elizabeth. That was such a fun conversation. You're such a rock star. You too. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Sure. What a treat to have Sensi on the podcast. I so appreciate her good work and inspiring energy. Head over to the show notes at hearhersports.com to find links to the good stuff from the episode, including energy bites and kiteboarding videos. At Hear Her Sports, we've been working really hard to let more people know about the podcast and the incredible women sharing their stories. I'd really, really love it if you'd help us out with that. Tell friends, colleagues, training partners about the podcast or about the athletes you meet here. Our theme music is by the band Goldmines, our logo by Agnes Studio. And thanks for listening. And let me know if you meditate in bed. I'll be back in two weeks. Bye-bye. Wonderful. That was awesome. Yeah, I loved it. So fun. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or Padel, as it's called in North America. This is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts,
go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!